The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. For the next hour, Monterey College of Law's Dean Mitchell Winnick and law professor Stephen Wagner will discuss current legal events and public policy issues that are affecting our daily lives. They will not provide individual legal advice. If you have a specific legal problem, you're encouraged to contact a lawyer for legal assistance. If you do not have a lawyer, contact the local bar association or lawyer referral service in your community for recommendations. And now, here's Wagner and Winnick on the law. Greetings and welcome to another edition of Wagner and Winnick on the Law. I am San Luis Obispo College of Law professor and trial attorney Stephen Wagner. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, president and dean of Monterey College of Law and San Luis Obispo College of Law, Mitchell Winnick. Mitch, good day to you. Good day to you, Stephen. Before we get started, I was thinking of you just this morning. I was walking on the Carmel Beach and I saw a gentleman step down onto the beach and you know what he was about to fly along the beach? I have no idea, but does it begin... Well, I have a clue. Does you it begin have, with a D? It does. He was got, sat up there to fly a drone down the Carmel Beach, which of course is a national maritime habitat. And I was so tempted to go you, up... You may have witnessed a crime. I was about to say that. I was so tempted to go up and say, you know, buddy, I, you, know, you think this is fun, but this is not legal. You had your Good Samaritan opportunity. I did. But and now you're doing kind of a PSA on it. It is a reminder that, you know, although it looks fun and it's a lot of, it's interesting, but you cannot fly a drone in marine sanctuaries or in in parks or that close to other human beings. It was a violation of the law. Now, I did point out to my wife, Debbie, that there are no drone police that we know of, so he didn't have a lot of risks. That's true. But it's a reminder to everybody that as fun as these are, you are restricted in where you can, where you can fly them. But I did think of you as I that's saw good. that. Well, that's good. And it's a topic that just keeps on giving. We've, we've talked about it in a number of different contexts, so now here you are offering percipient witness testimony <laughs> to a potential drone violation. That's exactly right. All right, so today we get an opportunity to talk about marijuana, legalization of marijuana, what to do in, uh, in our society now when the laws are changing. Are we ready for the legalization of marijuana? And as many of our listeners know, medicinal marijuana has already been legalized in many, many states. 25 of the 50 jurisdictions, or 25 of the 51 jurisdictions. That's right. So the question really becomes, are we ready? And I think that's the way I wanted to frame the topic today as we talk about the legalization of marijuana. And during today's program, our goal will be to define the we in are we ready? Because... I thought you were going to say weed. No, I didn't. I stopped, I stopped short of that, Mitch. But, you know, there will be puns along the way. Uh, are we ready? And the we is actually really comprised of some central figures here. Law enforcement, uh, 
end users, lawful end users of marijuana. And then there's the business side. We had a discussion on the business side once before in our program. It's exactly right. Yeah, and, and, and don't forget the DEA is involved, the FDA is involved, the AMA are involved. It's like an alphabet soup of the government side of who's involved. That's right. And to help us today, we're fortunate enough to have as a guest Chris Hauser. Chris is a Colorado attorney, former 14-year prosecutor and founder of Understanding Legal Marijuana, LLC. Mr. Hauser spent eight years as a line prosecutor working in a large Denver suburban area DA's office. Mr. Hauser then spent six years working for the Colorado District Attorney's Council where he served as traffic safety resource prosecutor providing training and technical assistance to Colorado law enforcement and prosecutors surrounding all facets of impaired driving. In his capacity, he has become one of the country's foremost experts on marijuana impaired driving. And listen up because here's the part where we're going to expand upon today. He has also been on the front lines of Colorado's trailblazing foray into legal marijuana and has developed an expertise in the many different and complicated facets of legal marijuana. And Mitch, I can share with you that I've known Chris for a number of years because I too served as a traffic resource prosecutor in California. And uh, we so really we're going to learn about marijuana from two prosecutors. Right, is right. That, is and, that what and, you're telling and me? No doubt we're going to talk about impairment. <laughs> And we're going to give Chris, Chris is also an adjunct law professor, so you'll appreciate that. And uh, we'll have an opportunity to talk to Chris about what he's doing and his current role uh, really in the private sector. He still is actively engaged in teaching both law enforcement and prosecutors. So let's bring in Chris. Chris, are you with us? I'm with you guys. Chris, did you, did you uh, endure that intro? I did endure that intro, Stephen. Thank you. All right. It was a truncated version of your resume because I couldn't read the whole thing on air because I'd move into the commercial break. <laughs> hey, well, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Mitch. I appreciate it. So, so Chris, welcome to the show. You know, this is just a, when, when Stephen says this is a cutting edge issue, we know that's the case because we see it here in California as there have been a number of, well, we have kind of a mixed bag of laws where it's, it's theoretically uh, somewhat legal in California, but of course, as we know, not on the federal side, but we haven't gone as far as Colorado. So tell us a little about the Colorado circumstance. It seems to me that it's been far less chaotic legally than I thought it would be, but you're there on the front lines. Give us a little input on that. Well, thanks, Mitch. I, I would say it, it has been sort of a mixed bag. It, it's fascinating, and Colorado has definitely done some things well, and other things in part just because we've taken this drug that's been legal for 70 years, and mostly in part because of ballot measures drafted by proponents of legal marijuana, they've come out and said you know, we should do these things. And some of those things make sense and other things don't make sense from a legal and policy standpoint. So I can tell you the sky is not falling in Colorado, uh, but there are a number of areas where there's sort of some gaping black holes. And because Colorado came first, there's this tendency for a lot of states and other places to look to us as the model. And in many instances, all they do is cut and paste what we've done. Well, I, I've seen that. And, and, they've, and they cut and paste some of the missing parts because I know you've had some influence in discussing policy from a business standpoint. So, for example, I, I don't think we'll spend a lot of time t today talking about banking, but, but 
once you get into the legal marijuana business, right now I think they're still struggling finding ways to put their money somewhere because it's a it, the federal chartered banks won't take that revenue. That's absolutely right, Mitch. And I can tell you firsthand, when I started my own company, Understanding Legal Marijuana, I, I walked into one of the well-known national banks. <laughs> and they my, said, uh-uh. My business name, and they said, no way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute. I don't, I don't sell it. I, 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 don't ha- I just teach people about it. And they were like, no. And so I walked in the next day and said, law office of Chris Hauser, and they handed me the check. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. I, I don't know. Is that a good thing about lawyers and a bad thing about marijuana? Or well, we won't go there. We'll just leave that alone. <laughs> so, Chris, Stephen here, and you know, we we have to talk about the law enforcement prong when we talk about legalization of marijuana and what's going to happen with law enforcement and the need for training and specifically the issue of impairment because obviously you and I are well versed on prosecuting impairment-based cases and uh, it, it brings a whole new set of complications to law enforcement in terms of being able to detect impairment, right? Absolutely. And and what I can tell you, Stephen, I think, I think there's a lot of challenges. One is... You know, law enforcement for decades usually developed probable cause for a lot of marijuana cases based on their nose. And the mere presence of it was enough to arrest somebody. Um, and even in a DUI case, what, what I tried to stress to people is, you know, when I was a young prosecutor, the fact that the drug was illegal probably was persuasive enough to most juries to just say guilty. Yeah. But now attitudes have really changed, and, and people expect that you prove the person was actually impaired. Yeah, so, so I, I now they pull you over and go, is that a brownie on your breath? <laughs> <laughs> and and I, honestly, Mitch, one of the interesting things is there is now such a wide range of products out there. Um, the, the traditional joint, that's kind of, that's passe. There's edibles, there's concentrates, there's such a range of product that a lot of police officers have never even seen this stuff, much less understand that uh, the joint or the, the, the weed that somebody smoked 10, 20, 30 years ago was probably under 10% THC. But now we have this whole range of product, including concentrates that can reach 70 to 90% pure THC. So this isn't your parents or your grandparents' pot anymore. It's it's a brave new world. It is a brave new world, Chris. And when we come back from the break, because we are coming up on a break, and I don't want to hit a new topic right when we go out on a break, but I'll tease it right now and just talk about and invite you to consider when we come back uh, what kind of adjustments need to be made uh, for law enforcement, because I know you're principally involved in running programs aimed at helping law enforcement detect impairment and signs of impairment, and the so-called Green Lab. I definitely want you to talk about that when we come back. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law on the BizTalk Radio Network and over Voice America. Our topic today, marijuana, legal marijuana, the legalization of marijuana, and what, if any, complications this brings to law enforcement. And we'll also talk about the responsibility component. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
Deciding to go to law school brings up questions like, can I afford it? Will I be prepared to take the leap and open my own office when I graduate? I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true with professors who are practicing attorneys and judges. They mentor our graduates. But don't take it from me. Hear what recent graduate Creighton Mandeville says. I wasn't crippled in debt coming out of Monterey College of Law. I came out of it with no debt. I was able to do some working during that time and some savings, so I exited law school with no debt. I did feel prepared coming out of law school. I started helping friends with the issues that came up for them, and Monterey College of Law has so many great faculties and things that there were resources for me. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000. That's 582-4000. Or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. That's montereylaw.edu. For 45 years, the Boys and Girls Clubs of Monterey County have been a vital part of our community. The club's mission is to inspire and empower the youth of Monterey County to realize their full potential to become responsible, healthy, productive, and successful citizens. As just one of the club's programs, more than 12,000 children and families have enjoyed safe after-school care at the Boys and Girls Club's Salinas Clubhouse. Boys and Girls Club of Monterey County is very excited to announce that Monterey College of Law is providing one full tuition law school scholarship each year to a former Boys and Girls Club participant. For more information about this exciting opportunity, contact President and CEO Donna Ferrero at dferrero at bgmc.org or call 831-757-4412. Beginning with the Continental Congress in 1774, America's national legislative bodies have kept records of their proceedings. Did you know that these records are available to you online for free? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. Congress.gov is the official website for the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. It is published by the Library of Congress and includes the public records of the U.S. Congress, the Government Publishing Office, and the Congressional Budget Office. Remember, members of Congress work for us, and if you want to see what they're doing, go to congress.gov and watch the actual sessions of Congress, or look up any law that's being proposed. That's congress.gov, C-O-N-G-R-E-S-S dot gov. Are you ready to start law school now? If you've just graduated from college or just thinking of changing your career, now is the time to take that first step. Slow College of Law is accepting applications for May 2016. The San Luis Obispo College of Law is an accredited branch of the Monterey College of Law School, founded 43 years ago. You can get a law degree from an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo. Their highly esteemed faculty is comprised of local judges and lawyers. San Luis Obispo College of Law classes are held conveniently in the evenings, and the campus is conveniently located in downtown San Luis Obispo. Let the professionals show you how to make becoming a lawyer a reality. Make today the first step in changing your life. Attend an information session and get answers to your questions. Call Dean of Admission Wendy La Revere at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org for more information. That's slowlaw.org.
Welcome back to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. If you're just joining us, we're talking about the legalization of marijuana and what impact and changes this brings to law enforcement and responsible end users of marijuana also. And our guest today is Colorado attorney Chris Halser. And Chris, before the break, I was uh, introducing the topic of how to detect impairment or marijuana-based impairment and the complications that this brings. And during the break, I was speaking with Mitch about what it means to be impaired. And I just wanted to share a brief story with you, Chris, that I may have shared before. But in California, we have signs on our highways that say, report drunk drivers. And I'm not a big fan of that word drunk because I think the proper word should be impaired. It should actually read, report impaired drivers. Think about it. We'd have a cool mnemonic rid the roadways, right? <laughs> and, and, my, right. and my argument has always been that we don't prosecute drunk driving cases as prosecutors. We prosecute impairment. And what better way or time to talk about the various forms of impairment than marijuana and other kind of street drugs? The times they are a-changing, right, Chris? And law enforcement needs to adapt and there needs to be new ways to be able to document impairment, which really leads me to this idea of the Green Lab. We're intrigued by that and wanted to hear you share with us what you've done in that regard. Well, I'll tell you what, Stephen, what's been interesting about this, and it goes to your point, is impairment is that broad-based category that addresses a variety of drugs. And the simple fact is, whether it's prescription drugs, alcohol, or now marijuana, I think what what legalization of marijuana is going to do is require law enforcement to sort of refocus and get back to impairment. And part of that has to do with the fact that the alcohol model has become convenient. People are used to the numbers. And even though there are plenty of drunk drivers that go out there and can pose a threat to society, the simple fact is most people are responsible about it, but they do things like calculating drinks. Oh, if I go out and have a couple, but I have a meal, I should be okay. But marijuana doesn't work that way. So even for the end user, they may be struggling to figure out, like, what is safe for me? And you couple that with, with sort of the perception and the politics of legalization, which really is, is stressing like marijuana is perfectly safe. Uh, it's to make it more palatable to society. But I think part of that is, is the perception is, you know what, you can have as much as you want and you're going to be safe. And that's just not true. Yeah, that's probably going to that responsibility component that I was introducing because my thought is that even with the legalization of marijuana, it may well make the bar even higher, ironically, in terms of the responsibility that should be imposed on drivers that may, let's say, have a medicinal marijuana card. If they abuse those privileges, in other words, I can certainly see that being used as a factor in aggravation. In a process. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I can, I can also see that what you guys are saying, it's an education process. For example, I recently got the renewal of my driver's license, and it comes with a big card in there that gives you the usual table of how many drinks by weight uh, render you an impaired driver. But it's all focused on alcohol. And so I think we, when you talk about the legislation, it needs to be a little more comprehensive. Uh, this is a category that I think falls into that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think 
Yeah. Chris, I, uh, what, tell us a little bit about the Green Lab, though, because I introduced that, and I, I just wanted to, to share this one with our listeners. They may not know that we do have means by which we can, uh, in alcohol labs, in other words, we can uh, have a setting, a controlled setting, by which law enforcement monitors uh, every step of the procedure, and volunteers uh, volunteer to get dosed, as they say, to, to drink liquor up to a certain point where they reach a certain level of impairment, and then they go out into the field and law enforcement conducts standard field sobriety tests. Um, Absolutely. In a controlled environment. In a controlled environment, <laughs> of course. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so what I did, and, and this is unique uh, in this country, is I, I created it here in Colorado, uh, a marijuana DUI class that I teach to Colorado law enforcement. Well, to, to law enforcement actually around the country who are willing to come to Colorado is we have a green lab. And so I take uh, volunteers, not law enforcement people, but uh, people that we, we pull from the community who are willing to come in and to try uh, different types of marijuana, be it bud flower, edibles, concentrate. And then they take that, they dose on that, and then we put them in front of the, the officers. And the officers have to make those decisions of, would this person be too impaired? to drive would you arrest this person and and explain why they are impaired and it presents a, a, a challenge to the officers to sort of break the orthodoxy of how they've gone about these investigations for a long time now you might reasonably ask like well how do you how do you get your volunteers in? <laughs> this is one of those moments, Chris, we wish it was TV because Mitch is over here. <laughs> Mitch, Mitch does want the answer to that question. Let's see. You go over to, you go over to Boulder, you head over to the university, and you stop into the university center, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. And you, you, pull, you put a net out there, and then they come in. Um, I, I will tell you, though, that occasionally that question pops up and they're like, well, wait a minute, why do we want to make the police officers better? And so what I try to explain to them is, look, this impairment question is really a two-way street is if a police officer stops you, and a lot of the public generally thinks that, that the police are motivated by, you know, fines and collection. Quotas. Stuff, yeah. But, yeah. But, but really, with public safety in mind, they're trying to make that determination. Are you safe enough to continue down the road? And what this Green Lab has also benefited, I think, the end users on is it's also giving law enforcement officers enough confidence to say if they don't think somebody is impaired enough to the point where they feel like they should arrest them, they feel safe in letting them go back down the road. You know, Chris, and we had a, a couple uh, early in the show, we had a California Highway Patrol officer come in and talk about doing sobriety checkpoints. We did it prior to the holidays, kind of a Grinch moment. But by the time he was done explaining the mechanics of a sobriety checkpoint, and, and at the time we were primarily talking about alcohol, I, I, I was convinced that there's not the type of margin of error that I would have thought of as a civilian. I think that it's one of those where, especially with marijuana, what we're trying to do with the police officers is get them past the idea, look, in, in a legal system where people can possess it, they can consume it, they may be able to grow a, a large grow in their house, you have to get past the fact that there's the presence of it uh, and you have to go, is this person too impaired to drive? 
And the model for doing that that's based largely on alcohol, in my opinion, is going to go through some changes and revisions as we learn more and more about this and as the science attempts to catch up. Yeah, that's good, Chris. And, you know, when we come back from the break, let's continue on that topic because uh, the means by which law enforcement can actually make valid judgment calls on removing a driver from the roadway is a real critical issue, and we'd uh, like to explore that and expand upon that. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. Our guest today is Colorado attorney Chris Hauser, and our topic is legalization of marijuana. Are we ready for that? What changes need to be made by law enforcement and responsible end users of marijuana? Don't go away. We'll be right back. Applying to Monterey College of Law is not hard, and we have a financial plan and class schedule that is tailored to meet your needs. I'm Wendy LaRiviere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true without crippling you with debt on graduation day. I chose Monterey College of Law because I wanted to continue working during the day. I had children at home, and I wanted to be able to go to school at night where it wouldn't impact what my children needed from me. There really is not crippling debt that you face afterwards. Monterey College of Law has a payment plan which is manageable, and they work with you. The other huge benefit of Monterey College of Law is that the professors are judges and lawyers. By taking their classes, you really actually start networking. So I was very fortunate because I also ended up with a mentor. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000 or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. For decades, the students at Monterey College of Law have graduated and gone on to pass the bar and become successful attorneys. However, not everyone goes to Monterey College of Law to become an attorney. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. We also offer students our two-year Master of Legal Studies degree, which can enhance their chosen careers. I was working as a deputy coroner for San Mateo County as a death scene investigator, and I wanted a better idea of the legal issues that were involved in forensic investigations. Everything about Monterey College of Law was accommodating to the uh, course of study I was trying to find. I graduated from Monterey College of Law with no outstanding debt. I'm working as an investigator for the San Mateo County Private Defender's Office, performing indigent defense investigations. For more information, call us today at 582-4000. That's 582-4000. Or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. That's montereylaw.edu. If you are a small business owner, you're subject to many of the same laws and regulations that apply to large corporations. Where do you go for help? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. SBA.gov is the website published by the Small Business Administration. It provides a wealth of information for small business owners, including employment and labor law, intellectual property law, online business laws and regulations, environmental regulations, workplace safety, and foreign worker eligibility. Of course, SBA.gov is not a replacement for having your own business attorney, but it is a free resource that may help you realize when you need to consult an attorney. SBA.gov. 
Have you thought about a law degree? Did you know you can attend an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo? And you can begin classes in May or in August. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions of San Luis Obispo College of Law. San Luis Obispo College of Law is a branch of Monterey College of Law, an accredited law school established 44 years ago. At San Luis Obispo College of Law, we have convenient evening classes, Mondays through Thursdays from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. We have a tuition rate guarantee program that freezes your tuition rate when you begin and protects you from annual tuition increases. We also have payment programs that allow you to make monthly payments or apply for private student loans. At San Luis Obispo College of Law, our faculty is composed of highly esteemed local lawyers and judges. If you've been thinking about a law degree, find out now if San Luis Obispo College of Law is your law school. Attend one of our information sessions and get answers to your questions. Or call me, Wendy Law Revere, at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org. That's S-L-O-Law.org. It is one thing to argue with your friends at the bar, but have you ever wondered what it would be like to argue in front of the United States Supreme Court? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. Oye.org, spelled O-Y-E-Z dot O-R-G, is a website published by the Free Law Project at Chicago Kent School of Law. You can go to Oye.org and listen to 60 years of actual oral arguments at the United States Supreme Court. Written summaries are provided for cases that go all the way back to 1789. OEA.org also provides biographical information on every United States Supreme Court justice and offers an online tour of the Supreme Court building. Go to OEA.org to see if you have what it takes to present a winning argument. Welcome back to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. You're listening to us on the BizTalk Radio Network and along Voice America. Our guest today is Colorado attorney Chris Hauser, and our topic is the legalization of marijuana and some of the complications that this may bring. And Chris, what I want you to do now is just work through with us a little bit on the typical DUI traffic stop, if you will, and I'll just set it up. An officer is attracted to a car because it's driving erratically, and the officer pulls the driver over and makes a passenger side approach. The windows come down, and we won't do the Cheech and Chong example, so a a bunch of smoke doesn't come out of the car, right? And they're eating edibles. (laughs) Yes, we'll go like the brownie scenario, right? So typically what happens is, and I like to say it starts with a whimper and kind of ends with a bang sometimes, the officer will engage the driver in some conversation, ask some preliminary questions, and one of those in an impaired driving in the liquid form has always been, how much have you had to drink, right Chris? Absolutely. A nice leading question that often leads to what answer altogether now? Two Two beers. Two beers. You were a little late there, Mitch. I know. I was <laughs> finishing my beer. Okay. So, so, yeah, yeah. so here, here's where I'm heading, Chris. Um, what can law enforcement do ultimately to rule in or rule out marijuana impairment? And I think what I, well, one of the things I want to invite you to talk about is the absence of a preliminary test 
to determine and whether you think that's going to change. So in other words, in an alcohol impairment case, the officer can administer what's called a preliminary alcohol screening test, which is not an evidentiary test, but it is one that can help with probable cause. We may not have that, or law enforcement, sorry, may not have that in their arsenal. Oh, gosh, Mitch, you just kind of set up a, a day's worth of questions. That was Steven. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Don't Steven. blame Mitch. Uh, when we talk about this, um, it, there's a number of things to consider. First of all, you're right. That, that PBT, that portable breath test, is one of the tools in the arsenal of the police officer in an alcohol case. And although there are a ton of manufacturers who are racing to develop the product for marijuana, it's not there yet. The science and technology, uh, maybe five or ten years from now, we're going to have a really great roadside device. But right now, what's available on the market are a lot of things that will measure what's in a person's saliva, which isn't a good indicator of what's going on in their bloodstream or their brain. So it falls upon the officer uh, to do that. And, and as Stephen well knows, there's, there's usually a, a three-step routine that officers will do when they think somebody's under the influence. It's called the standardized field sobriety test. And the first one, which most officers and prosecutors value highly in alcohol cases, is a, a look at the eyes for something called horizontal gaze nystagmus. And it's one of those where there's a lot of value put on it, but candidly, and I try and stress this to officers and prosecutors, I said, the average Joe doesn't think much of this. They think it's crazy eye stuff. Right. And so what we're really looking for is, does this person have trouble walking down a straight line, walk and turn? And I always think that's the most important roadside to a jury. And candidly, people who are high on marijuana there are some outliers, but a lot of people do pretty well. And the reason why is marijuana doesn't ma manifest itself with a lot of physical impairment. It's mental impairment. Oh, uh, right. And, and that, that's where the big paradigm occurs. It, it's a huge paradigm, Chris, and it's one of the adjustments that prosecutors will need to make. And uh, one of those things is to probably highlight the mental impairment aspect. And it's a higher bar. For sure. Yeah. So that was the second test. So the first was the one where they would check the eyes. Second was the walk and turn. And, and what's the third step? Uh, the last one is one leg stand, which I, I commonly say defense attorneys can very easily um, upend because usually what they do is they tell the jury to go into the jury deliberation room and do it for themselves. And of course, who's on your jury panel? Usually a bunch of retirees who are about ready to fall over. Now, <laughs> um, yeah, careful, careful. That's our citizenry <laughs> doing their enough. public duty. <laughs> fair enough. Absolutely. But it's one of those where, you know, I, I think defense attorneys can really effectively negate that one. Yeah, that, that, uh, wouldn't, that wouldn't get lift off in California because there, there'd be motions in limine. Lift off on the one-leg stand. Yeah, that, 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 that I good. did get that one. Yeah. That one's a little hey, lame. It was a non-marijuana <laughs> pun, Chris. Come on. Uh, my greatest fear has always been in, in all of these stops, I talked about it on the other show, was that someone would ask me to say the alphabet backwards. I can't say the alphabet backwards after a cup of coffee in the morning. I certainly couldn't do one under the stress of an officer standing there with a the flashlight. 
Oh, I love the alphabet. Yeah. That's a, that's a great one. There's a good YouTube clip, right, where the guy actually, uh, is it Reno 911? Where that's actually- exactly it. That's a classic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he actually does a pretty decent job, and then what does he go into, like, a cowboy two-step or something? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. He aces that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. So, Chris, it, you know, it all ends in the blood, right? So if we go back to the scene at our car stop, ultimately, if that driver is going to be prosecuted and charges filed against him or her, it will probably be done on the strength of a blood test. In theory, that's true. But what started in Colorado was this notion, and legislatures have been quick to to grab onto this, is we, we need to have a number. And five nanograms is something that, that started in Colorado and other states have, have gravitated to. In fact, California was considering that, although the legislature just shot it down. Right. And although the number is supported by some of the science, there's been recent studies that, that have really called that number into question. And in part, they say it, it doesn't necessarily, it does two things. You might have people who are over that number who are still okay to drive, but you also might have people under that number who, who are too impaired to drive. And it's five, excuse me, five nanograms of what? T- tell us. It's called what? Delta 9 THC. Okay. And so that's the active impairing ingredient in marijuana. So one of the response, responses from end users are, well, I, I've heard that marijuana stays in your system for up to 30 days. So if, if you pull me over for a DUI and test me, you might find the marijuana that's in my system from a week ago, not from the night you, you pulled me over. And that's not true. Delta-9 is, uh, stays in the system only for about one to four hours. And so it's also very ephemeral. And as a result of that, for police officers, if they don't get that test early, the evidence is gone. The other thing that I I think you bring up is that when we were talking about an alcohol-related stop, that the probable cause allowed them to take them from the curbside to the station, and then they could get a warrant if they needed to to get a blood test. But you're saying that that initial probable cause with THC is a little harder to establish. You might not get them to the station for a blood test. Uh, I think that's probably the case. And so you're going to have people, it's going to place challenges on law enforcement. Um, you're also going to have judges out there who who haven't heard of the new science. So um, what, whatever type of hearing you guys have, if it's Fry, Daubert hearings, anything like that, those are going to challenge the prosecutors too because you have to educate the bench as to this. And, and candidly, guys, because of the federal prohibition against marijuana, Studying marijuana is really, really hard because it's a Schedule One substance. Yeah, I was going to ask how you pulled it off in Colorado to get your Green Lab authority. Well, I just did it because I'm a private actor and I'm feeling pretty confident that the DEA and the feds aren't going to raid me. Um, but I have pledged a promise to all my Green Lab participants that if we get arrested, I'll represent everybody for free. <laughs> That's good marketing, Chris. <laughs> Hey, speaking of marketing, I mean, tell us just a little bit about what you're doing with understanding uh, marijuana. So so my company is called Understanding Legal Marijuana, and I I opened this company uh, after my prosecutorial career. And really what I try and do is uh, present objective information 
to a variety of audiences, be it my, my traditional law enforcement audience, but I, I also states and local governments who are trying to grapple with trying to figure out this policy. And as we discussed earlier in the show, when cut and paste is the method, a lot of times they're missing significant issues that they wouldn't know otherwise because they have no experience with taking a drug that's been completely illegal for 70 years and now introducing it to a regulated market. Yeah, well, that's a timely enterprise. Steve, when we come back after the break, I want to talk a little about that 70 years because evidently in July we expect the DEA to have some, some new public statements about that. Yeah, that's true. And then, Chris, the other thing we want to get you to talk about uh, after this break is the uh, fear that legalization of marijuana will also bring with it complications in terms of black market activity and consumer protection. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. Our guest today is Colorado Attorney Chris Hauser, and we've been speaking about the legalization of marijuana and the topic of whether or not we are ready, and the we means law enforcement and lawful end users. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Making a change in career is a serious decision that affects both you and your family. You have many questions that need to be answered before you can make a commitment. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true. And it's affordable. But don't take it from me. Hear what recent graduate Dan Cullum says. Before I was entering law school, I was an airline pilot. After I retired, I decided that I would go to law school. Monterey College of Law was the avenue to fulfill that desire. I loved Monterey College of Law. It was small classes. The professors were very helpful, personal. You could talk to them. Tuition is not exorbitant at Monterey College of Law, which is the opposite of the way it is at other places. It's affordable. They have a a program at Monterey College of Law that lets you pay as you go, so it's financially possible. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000 or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. Long before Woody's cruised Beach Street, kids and teens have needed to know that they are important and that they belong. Since 1969, the Boys and Girls Club of Santa Cruz has provided a place where potential is released and great futures are forged. Help celebrate our 45th anniversary by emailing your club memories and pictures to celebrate 45 years at boysandgirlsclub.info or call 423-3138, extension 23. We are also excited to announce that Monterey College of Law is providing one full tuition law school scholarship each year to a former Boys and Girls Club participant. Contact Executive Director Bob Langseth at 423-3138, extension 21, or email bob at boysandgirlsclub.info to learn more about this exciting opportunity. Consumer scams, fraud, deceptive business practices. Where do you go for protection? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. FTC.gov is the website published by the Federal Trade Commission. As the nation's consumer protection agency, the FTC wants to know about businesses that cheat people out of money. 
If you've been the victim of consumer fraud, you should file a complaint at FTC.gov. Although the FTC's Bureau of Consumer Protection will not help you recover your individual damages, your complaint may initiate an investigation that results in companies or individuals being sued by the government for fraud, deceptive practices, or unfair business practices. If you want more information about how to protect yourself as a consumer, go to the Bureau of Consumer Protection at FTC.gov. Are you ready to start law school now? If you've just graduated from college or are thinking of changing your career, now is the time to take that first step. Slow College of Law is accepting applications for May 2016. San Luis Obispo College of Law is an accredited branch of the Monterey College of Law School founded 43 years ago. You can get a law degree from an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo. Their highly esteemed faculty is comprised of local judges and lawyers. San Luis Obispo College of Law classes are held conveniently in the evenings and the campus is conveniently located in downtown San Luis Obispo. Let the professionals show you how to make becoming a lawyer a reality. Make today the first step in changing your life. Attend an information session and get answers to your questions. Call Dean of Admissions Wendy LaRiviere at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org for more information. That's slowlaw.org. The U.S. Constitution has recently created national headlines in the debate about filling the vacancy created by the sudden death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. The president and certain members of Congress are at odds about what the Constitution requires when there's a vacancy on the Supreme Court. Who is right? And how can everyday citizens be informed enough to know the answer? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. ConstitutionCenter.org is a website published by the National Constitution Center. The center was established by Congress to provide information about the United States Constitution on a nonpartisan basis. If you want information about the Constitution's history and what it means today, go to constitutioncenter.org and form your own opinion about the law. Welcome back to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. Our guest today is Colorado attorney Chris Hauser. Chris is the founder of Understanding Legal Marijuana, LLC, out of Golden, Colorado. Did I get that right, Chris? Is Golden your address? That is my address, home of Coors. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Who's the voice for Coors, Mitch? Who does the voiceovers for Coors in the commercials? Trivia question. Uh, oh, I got him on the spot. Uh, Chris, I'm do you know? I'm a Texas boy. We didn't drink Coors. Sorry. It would, be, it would be the voice of Sam Elliott. On with the show. All right. So, Chris, uh, one of the topics we've got to get to, and we've got it in our notes, is what will happen when the government tries to effect, effectively regulate marijuana, or if they are regulating marijuana, what, if anything, will happen in terms of black market activity? I think you had a concern about that issue. Well, here's the theory, and you guys are going to see this play out in the next few months in California. And one of the primary pitches that uh, will attend the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, one of 
at least one, but there could be several other ballot measures out there in November, is going to be this idea that, hey, it's illegal, the, the bad guys already have it and are selling it to people, so let's regulate it, tax it, and we can extinguish the black market. Now, there's a huge policy challenge with that because you're, you're trying to create a regulated market, control the flow, make sure that it's not being diverted to other states that don't have legal marijuana, um, and, and do it in such a way that it, it competes with the black market. What I can tell you guys in Colorado is our legal market, which sold $996 million worth of marijuana last year on the legal recreational market has put a dent in the black market, but it hasn't uh, ended it. And I'm going to tell you guys something really interesting that you and your listeners can do. All you have to do is go to Craigslist and plug in Denver as your city and use the search terms marijuana and donation. And uh, it's those people out there who are selling drugs illegally that think if they include the word donation that it's a magic legal word that's going to get them out of trouble. But you will see the black market alive and well in Colorado. Wow, that's interesting. Now, yeah, when, when you I, mentioned, let me get one question. Sure. When you mentioned dent, Chris, dent in the black market, how are you measuring that? I mean, is it empirical measurements? No, it's you, anecdotal. Anecdotal. Okay, so you're, you're not looking at sort of like the volume of charges in different prosecuting agencies or things like that? No, and the, and the interesting thing, Stephen, I can tell you is one of the other pitches is, hey, law enforcement should be spending their time doing other things. Um, I can tell you that for a lot of law enforcement agencies in Colorado, marijuana has has made their lives more complicated and and in part because a lot of the advocates have crafted the rules and the regulations which seem pretty cut and dry on their face but i can tell you there's tons of gray area and having read both the new medical marijuana regulations or law and and the adult use of marijuana proposed in california there's still lots of gray area so law enforcement is going to be challenged to go after the offenders um, and there's going to be a lot of resources that are going to be taxed in California to try and make this effective. Yeah, the only other thing I'd throw into the dialogue would be that, you know, one of the arguments from an, an economist standpoint would be that you know, if you get into the market where there's, you know, labeling and testing and there's legal production, one would one would expect the market to bring the prices down, so making the black market that much less uh, profitable and less interesting. Well, I'll tell you what, Mitch, that's a great point. One of the interesting things that's going to happen here, and we're seeing it in Colorado, when recreational sales started in January 1 of 2014, an ounce of marijuana was selling for $400. But now, because of competition, that price has been driven down to about 150 an ounce, which people would say the market is working. But what is interesting and challenging for the marijuana businesses is they've been heaped on with all of these regulations and rules to prevent the black market and what you may potentially see and you could very well see this in california because i got to tell you guys having read the proposed rules and regulations you guys have no less than seven state agencies that are going to be imposing rules and regulations on uh, the producers 
And it could very well be that they are so heavily regulated that their prices can't compete with the black. I see this as a new plank in the state Republican Party, that they don't want this kind of (laughs) over-regulation of private enterprise and private business, the same kind of things that that drive the small mom-and-pop pot grower out of business. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Political bedfellows we never thought would uh, uh, would come together may very well. Yeah, that's true. Well, Chris, we're coming to the close. Uh, tell our, our listening audience how they can reach you and understand more about your uh, company. Absolutely. Well, there's a number of ways of doing it. Uh, my website is www.understanding420.com. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at, at Chris Halser, C-H-R-I-S-H-A-L-S-O-R. And, uh, or you can reach me at Chris, C-H-R-I-S, at understanding420.com. Hey, Chris, thanks a lot for joining us. We hope you'll do it again. You've Chris, met we're gonna every definitely, expectation. We're going to definitely have you back on probably in about a month, and we'll focus a little more on the business side of things because I think there's a lot to talk about on that as well. Absolutely. Thanks, Chris. Take care. That was great. That's really great. So we'll have to bring Chris back for sure. It is. And there's there so many things this is going to open up there. For example, just I know I mentioned it briefly, but you know, there are no businesses out there to provide legal marijuana producers uh, inexpensive uh, testing. There are no labeling standards. Think about what you see on every product, the little barcodes. There's no discussion about how you track the product from grower to the to the retail user, which we're now doing with almost all agriculture. I mean, this is a complicated area. Oh, yeah. It may also uh, provide different and new opportunities for those in the ag business. There's going to be a lot of business opportunities. No question. Billions are going to be made. That's true. So, Mitch, for next week, we need to take on the topic of the Brock Turner case. Yes. For those those that don't know, that's many people think of as the Stanford rape case and the, the sentencing that came down under that. And our plan will be to address that case and we'll do our objective best to discuss all of the legal issues that were involved including sentencing guidelines and factors in aggravation and factors in mitigation Uh, so be looking forward to that topic please for next week very good thanks Stephen. reminder to everybody that you can hear archive versions of our show on voiceamerica.com on biztalkradio.com and on our own website at wagnerandwinnick.com as we remind you each week if you don't know the law know a lawyer and discussing your personal rights within the legal system. Law School Dean Mitchell Winnick, along with law professor Stephen Wagner, will discuss the sometimes ever-changing laws and policies to keep you in the know. Listen every Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern, on Voice America Business. If you don't know the law, know a lawyer. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.